0: Hey, grab some scripture if you have uh, scripture around you um, with, uh, on your phone or hard copy is under one of the chairs around you. We have an event going on the Bible app as well. You can go to the Bible app, open events, you'll find us and you'll find all the scripture there as well. You can scan the QR code if uh, that's helpful. Uh, kids, you can go ahead and head downstairs if you're going downstairs for kids ministry stuff. Awesome. We're in a series in the book of James... And uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Dustin. Uh, Adam and I, for the most part, kind of rotate back and forth, uh, teaching through uh, on Sunday mornings. And so, Book of James is where we're working through here in week four. We mostly preach through books of the Bible in our times together, if you're just visiting with us or just considering popping in and joining us as a church family more consistently. That's a lot of what we do here uh, during this teaching time, is just work through Books of the Bible uh, and thus believe in the whole counsel of Scripture. So instead of just choosing passages we like to preach or that would tickle our ears, uh, we kind of work through books, which gets us to passages we wouldn't normally maybe choose. And so we end up covering all kinds of verses that we might not otherwise dig into. A reminder about the book of James, if you haven't been with us. Uh, just to kind of frame out uh, uh, overall the book of James. James is an interesting book, especially when you compare it to some of Paul's writings. And so it's important to remember what James is trying to accomplish here. He's not so much trying to tell his original aud- audience or us how we're saved or how we're justified. If you went into James thinking that, you could come out with some skewed ideas. More so, James is assuming we already know that, how we're saved and how we're justified. He's assuming we already know that, and so James is going to paint a picture of what living in light of the gospel should look like. And so if we go into these passages in James, understanding that they make a lot more sense. And today's passage is about body life, life together as believers, what it looks like to live out the gospel together with each other as a church. Just like this. He's gonna have some words for us as to what it should look like when we gather together like this as believers. And now if I can preach a little... Pre sermon, maybe a sermon within a sermon for you Inception fans. This is what's going to happen. A little bit of sermon within the sermon here as we get going and talking about body life, what it looks like to live together as a church family. There's a certain deception out there. And I'll say this again a certain deception out there that I've seen and heard so far everywhere I've ever been in ministry. It's not always worded exactly the same, but it goes something like this. I don't really need traditional church anymore like some people do. And that, that said almost with a hint of arrogance, if you've heard this this kind of with maybe groups of people that you're around, it sometimes is accompanied by this. I've got my group of Christian friends, and well, they are my church. I've got my group of Christian friends, and and they're really my church. And to that, I would ask, is your group of friends really functioning as a church? Because Scripture lays out descriptively what the church is to be about. Specifically, in Acts 2, describes the first church as being devoted to the apostles' teaching, the Scriptures. Devoted to intentional fellowship, coming together as a church. Not just a group of friends, but coming together as a church And to communion, does your group of friends who you identify as a church, do you take communion together? Do you spend intentional time praying? If your group of friends isn't striving to be a part of those things when they gather, then they're likely not a church. And we might also hear this, I love this one. Um, This this sounds, uh, this is something that we hear. Well, you don't have to gather with a church family to be a Christian. You heard that one, right? You don't have to be, you don't have to gather with a church family to be a Christian, and they would be right. Salvation is by grace through faith alone and Christ alone, right? But Tony Evans says it like this. I'd seen this online before and came, came across it again this week. He says, you also don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected right? Right? You may also hear this. It's not really about going to church. It's about being the church. I love this one because in a sense, we hear it all the time. You don't, it's, you don't have to go. It's not about going to church. It's about being the church. And again, on the surface, I would say, well, on some level, I agree. True Christianity isn't just about going to a church service. We say that all the time here, Right? We want to be so much more than just go into a church service, but those two things aren't two things we pit against each other, right? And that's the, that's the fallacy of that thought process of, well, it's not about going or gathering as a church. It's about being the church. And I'm like, that, you can't put those two things on opposite sides and pit them against each other. It's both, right? It's both. We can't say we, you have to choose one or the other. It's both, Gathering as the church and being the church. They go hand in hand. Again, what if I said, if I went to Julie and my family, and I said, hey guys, when it comes to our family, when it comes to our family, it's not really about spending time with you guys as a family. It's just about being family. <laughs> right? I'm like, it doesn't make any sense, right? But yet that's some of the thought process, this deception that we can find ourselves in when it comes to our church family. And so I would say this, may we continue to lean into the scriptures and lovingly and gracefully encourage others who make statements like this to do the same. I love this. Uh, it's the um, first scripture we're getting to here in this end of the sermon within the sermon. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so having said that, James has some instructions as to what it looks like when we gather together in a gathering like this. What's it supposed to look like? And he has some guidance and some warnings for us when we gather as the church. And so um, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. First uh, we're eventually going to work down to uh, verse 13. Uh, cover most of the scriptures between 1 uh, verse 1 and verse 13. I'll have uh, I'll read this one out loud and then I'll have you read some with some people around you here in a second, but verse 1 follow along with me. It says my brothers show no what's the word there? partiality, some versions uh, favoritism. As You hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We'll come back to that phrase right at the end, the Lord of glory, but it's pretty basic what he's saying here. Favoritism, partiality, it has no place with those who claim to know Christ. They're incompatible is what he's saying. That's his thesis. He started with that. He's saying, hey, partiality showing favoritism has no place with following Christ. They're not compatible. They don't go together by any stretch of the means. That's his thesis, so to speak. As you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't make sense to show partiality or favoritism. Those things aren't meant to co exist. And then he starts with an example from his day of what this would look like in their gatherings. And we assume this was probably something that he saw firsthand that he was writing about. And so verses two and three, I'll have you read with someone around you. Uh, Just kind of turn into two or three people around you. Someone will have their scriptures open and will be confident enough to read that out loud. And so uh, read that together verses two and three, and then we'll regroup. Okay, pretty straightforward example from his day, right? Uh, there, there, there's not a lot of confusion with what's going on in this example that he gives. It's pretty straightforward, but the hang-up we can run into is maybe we think this isn't something we really struggle with today in 2022 right here in this church family, and I would say Yes, in a way, uh, because I begin to pray. As I studied this this week, I begin to process okay, um, can I think of an example when I have done this exact example in this church family, or I've seen anybody else do it, and I just couldn't come up with any examples for this specific example? I mean, I couldn't process any time that, that I've welcomed people in and begin to filter them based on the way they were dressed and then told someone in shabby clothes, hey, I got a special seat for you, right at my feet, right here at the front, because there's no chairs left open for you. I, don't, I couldn't think of one example one time that I had done that, right? Or that I had seen any of you do that. Or, or see someone come in that was maybe dressed to the nines and say, oh, oh we got a special place for you. Right up front here. Come on this way. Let me show you to your special seat. I've not seen that, right? And so when we read this example, we can think, well, is this something that's really applicable to us today, to this church family? And even though it looks different for us today, the root of why we show favoritism and partiality is still very much alive. Because look at verse 4. James says this, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Can I tell you something about yourself, and about myself. We're always looking for what we can get from people. That's our sinful default. We're always looking for what we can get from someone else. That's our sinful default. We look at someone's appearance or their status and we judge whether or not we can get something or get higher on the status bar by talking or interacting with them. And some of you are on board, but I Likely, some of you are still like, ah, I'm not sure if I really do that. If I really judge people by the way they look and make distinctions. Well, think about this. In a social setting or even after the service is over, because again, um, uh, maybe slight difference what I would call between teaching is just teaching a passage I could teach it at any church this morning and it's applicable. Preaching is really where we get into uh, application of truth and teaching for a specific body. And so When we look at this, we process, well, how are we in this? A social setting, maybe after our service here, how do you decide who to go talk to? And this happens in the subconscious most of the time. We don't consciously think these things, but let me pull back the curtain a little bit and reveal to us how we decide who we go talk to after the service. It's usually based on what you can get from someone. You talk to someone because you want connection. You talk to someone because you want a good conversation. You want to try to establish a friendship with someone because of what you think they could do for you or contribute to your life. And you think, man, that's dark, right? I mean, it's not that it doesn't happen, but very seldom do we, uh, again, after a social setting like this, after a church gathering, do we process, what does someone need this morning? I I wonder who I can go talk to and give something to someone. Because most, again, our default is, I'm gonna look around the room, find someone that I think I can get something from, and then engage them in conversation, right? Right? And maybe we're still like, man, that's so dark. I'm just not sure. I'm, I'm just not sure I'm that dark. I'm just not sure I'm that sinful. Uh, side note: You are, and I am. Well, I would ask, when service is over, do you ever find yourself making a beeline to someone new, someone you don't know? That would be maybe a hint that maybe. It, Your desires are being led by the spirit and you're looking to give in conversation instead of just get something. Do you ever find yourself beelining to one of our students or our kids because that would be a good example that you're not looking to get something but to give something. Maybe to someone that you don't plan to receive anything from. That would be evidence that you don't show partiality or favoritism in our gatherings. Or the opposite. Do you find yourself, get this, we've all been there, right, avoiding certain people because we're confident they have nothing to give us. In fact, they're going to take from us, right? And so we avoid those people, again, showing favoritism, showing partiality by excluding others, I know that conversation will be awkward and ultimately I won't get anything out of it so I'm going to avoid those people in our gatherings. Aren't we always looking for what we can get from someone? That's how we decide who to speak with, who to interact with, etc. It could be based on money or status. Probably goes well beyond that. So verse 4, I love this. It says that we make distinctions among ourselves. And this really strikes at the heart of favoritism. Here's what I think it means when James says we make distinctions among ourselves. And I'm going to say this and then I'll give us a visual. It means we instinctively rank ourselves and everyone around us on some kind of scale. Here's where I am socially, spiritually, educationally, functionally. And then based on where I am, I'm going to Find people who are above where I am and I'm going to interact with them. I'm going to find someone who's above me and I'm going to try to get something from them in a sense that maybe I could boost my own standing. And that's exactly what James is saying is incompatible with following Christ. I brought a visual up here. Um, it's a yardstick. I forgot it this morning and Julie ran home and got it for me. So thanks, Julie. So, um, When I think about making distinctions among ourselves, this is what I think of. I think of a measuring stick. And I think we place ourselves on a measuring scale and we say, well, and by the way, we rarely ever place ourselves down here, right? Sometimes we do. Sometimes uh, the shame and and, uh, stuff gets and we place ourselves down here. Uh, Probably most of us are somewhere in the middle or place ourselves up here pretty high on the measuring stick in a, in a social gathering. Well, I think I'm right here. I think I'm right. And then anyone below this, we're like, yeah, no, thanks. It's going to be a hassle for me to talk with anyone below myself. And then anyone above myself, I'm going to make sure I engage them in conversation and see what I can get from them in hopes of maybe bumping up a little higher on the measuring stick, making distinctions among ourselves based on financial status, based on emotional health, based on a a number of things, right? And that's what James is saying is incompatible with following Christ. Making distinctions among yourselves so that you end up showing favoritism or partiality in the body of Christ. And James is saying that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's incompatible with following Christ. For the sake of time, we'll pass by uh, verses five through seven. Uh, Some good stuff. James gives some more examples in there for the sake of our time. Go back and read it uh, later today. For the sake of our time, let's... uh, Move on here. By the way, if you want the foot, uh, the footnotes, uh, kind of the Cliffs notes of five through seven, James is going to give some reasons why it's foolish to show favoritism based on the amount of money people possess. So he's going to make a point to say, "Hey, this is really foolish uh, to show favoritism based on the amount of money someone has." But I want to skip down to verses eight through eleven because while we've established that we're all guilty on some level of favoritism, uh, we just said that we're we. We're, I think we could all get on board with yes, I think I'm guilty of showing favoritism or partiality, of making distinctions among the body of Christ. We say yes, I think I'm guilty on, of that on some level. Now I think we might be asking, is favoritism really that big of a deal? That's kind of where I was in, in the scriptures this week, reading through this and processing and thinking, okay, well how big of a deal is, is this really? I mean, aren't there a lot bigger things we could talk about that we could struggle with? I mean, aren't there a lot worse sins we could be guilty of? And so verses eight through 11, uh, read this with a a few people around you, verses eight through 11, and pay attention to what he's gonna say about how serious favoritism or showing partiality is. So verses eight through 11, read that with a couple of people around you, then we'll regroup. Okay, okay. In summary, what you just read, in summary, here's what we can say. In summary, we show when we show favoritism or make distinctions among ourselves, follow the train of thought here with what we just read. When you show favoritism or make distinctions among yourselves, it means we're guilty of not loving our neighbor, right? That's what he said, guilty of not loving our neighbor when we, when we show favoritism, when we show partiality, when we make distinctions. And when we're guilty of not loving our neighbor, it makes us guilty of breaking the law. The law of God. And that makes us what? Lawbreakers, right? That's what James is establishing here. That when we show favoritism or partiality, it's not just this minimal kind of thing. Of, well, there's, there's worse stuff out there. I mean, Pastor talked about it Sunday, favoritism, but there's more serious stuff out there. And I'm just going to focus on that. And I'm not really guilty. I I mean, just a little bit guilty. And James is saying a little bit guilty is all guilty. A little bit guilty, a little bit lawbreaker is all lawbreaker. And I wonder if we see what James is doing now. He's reminding us of our own need for a Savior and for mercy. That's where he's tracking as he's writing this. He's going, I need to make sure they understand that partiality is a big deal because when you are partial and you make distinctions, you break the law. And that shows us our need for a Savior. It shows us our need for mercy See, in a world where we're making distinctions and ranking ourselves, James is leveling the playing field, right? In, in a world where we're always making distinctions, well, I'm not as simple as that person. This person's more sinful than me. I'm a little better here. I'm a little better there. Yardstick, right? James is like, no, no, no. Leveling the playing field. When you show partiality, which we've established we all do, we're law breakers in need of mercy. As we're charting our standing with those around us, the law makes no distinction. Romans 3, for all have sinned. And here's where we get to the heart of the passage. Stay with me here. While where we've judged mercilessly others around us, where we've judged mercilessly other people around us, well, they're here, I'm here, I'm better than they are. And and we've not shown mercy in the way we've judged people in making these distinctions James reminds us of the gospel. That's where we get to here. While we're busy making distinctions and judging others unmercilessly, James reminds us of the gospel. Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. That's that's a big statement, right? Look at that again. For judgment is without mercy. To one who has shown no mercy. And then he makes this closing thought here for at least this thought process as he works down through here. He says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over Judgment, And here's the connection to the gospel, if you've missed it, and why identifying with Christ and showing favoritism are not compatible. If you mistreat or look down on someone under you, you're forgetting where you came from and your own need for a Savior. Can I just say that again? Because this is where James is wanting to get us and reminding us of God's mercy and how we are in need of God's mercy as lawbreakers. Let me read this again. If you mistreat or look down on someone that you perceive as under you, you're forgetting where you came from and your own need for a savior. How you were shown great mercy and kindness in compassion by God through Christ, have to remind ourselves of that every time we gather, right? And if you what I would say, kiss up to someone over you, right? If you look at someone that you perceive as over you, if you kiss up to someone over you in an attempt to gain something, you're forgetting there's the glorious Lord Jesus. from verse one, remember? the glorious Lord Jesus, you're forgetting that there's the glorious Lord Jesus and then there's everyone else, right? If there's any hierarchy, that's the one, right? That's the hierarchy where we make distinctions among ourselves. Scriptures say the only hierarchy is Christ and everybody else. That's the only hierarchy. It's him and he's over all of us, the glorious Lord Jesus, And that alone should move us to see the folly of making distinctions among ourselves when we forget the hierarchy that really matters. Him and then all of us who saved us, not based on where we were in some hierarchy. Uh, do Do we realize this? Can we say this? That... Jesus doesn't come to us as a church and say, hey, church, hey, where's your um, measuring stick for where everybody is? I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna use that to to dole out my mercy. Hey, Dustin, Adam, anybody else church-wise, hey, bring out the yardstick that you've been measuring everybody and making distinctions. I'm gonna use your standard and I'm gonna dole my mercy out based on your standard. That's not what happens. Based on His mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. I want us to look at Titus. This is the verse we'll close with. sums it sums it up so well. This triumph of mercy, in light of our propensity to make distinctions among ourselves, and to think that that counts for anything. Titus chapter three, starting in verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, not our distinctions, not our measuring stick, right? But according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we read that, what a beautiful summary, what a pointer to remind us it's not about our righteousness. It's not about the distinctions we make. They're really worthless when it comes to how he shows his mercy. And then we get down to this. May the great gospel of Christ reshape how we view each other and how we treat each other in our gatherings and beyond, right? As James is giving us an indication of what it looks like to, to be together in a church family, to not make distinctions, but to remember there's only one distinction, it's Christ and all of us. And he shows his mercy based on his sacrifice, based on his judgment and not our own. Man, what a word. So by his spirit may it be so. May the great gospel of Christ reshape how we view each other and how we treat each other in our gatherings here and then beyond out into our community. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we confess that our default, our sinful default is to make silly distinctions among ourselves, among even our church family here. We try to place ourselves on some kind of scale and figure out who's above us and who's below us and even that shapes who we even interact with as a church family. Lord, by your spirit, would you enlighten our hearts in the beauty and depth of the gospel? Jesus, where we were, Enemies separated from you, in great need of mercy. And while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. Who are we to think that we've earned anything or have any kind of standard or distinction among us? And based on our place of great need and you stepping in, showing mercy. Lord, may the gospel shape how we interact as a church family, making no distinctions among ourselves, pouring mercy out on each other as you've poured out on us. Lord, engaging in relationship and conversation less about what we may be able to get out of it and Lord, more of a place of giving. Lord, by your spirit, would you empower that through us as we understand and continue to pursue the depth and beauty of the gospel Jesus who you are and what you've done for us and see how that shapes how we interact as a community Jesus we thank you for your body broken your blood shed for us even in communion this morning we're going to celebrate mercy triumphing over judgment we thank you for your sacrifice Jesus and we thank you for the fact that you came out of the grave live your life through us empowering us Toward gospel living and gospel community. We pray these things in your name. Amen.